The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. You are on a Monday drive where we finally got our matchup for Super Bowl 56. 13 days from now, it'll be Bengals-Rams. And I think by the time this game kicks off in Los Angeles, the Rams might be the heaviest favorite that we've seen in the Super Bowl in a dozen years. The line opened at LA minus three and a half, and in some places that's climbed up to four and a half. And consider this, since the 2010 season, the Carolina Panthers are the only team favored by more than four and a half points in the Super Bowl. How did that go? That closed at Carolina minus five, and I think that's where the Rams are headed because we've got here a matchup between the early arriving Cincinnati Bengals and the Rams who are the checking your watch. Well, it's about time team. It's about time Matthew Stafford got to this game. It's about time Odell Beckham Jr. It's about time Jalen Ramsey. It's about time Leonard Floyd. It's about time Eric Waddle. You're all in this game, and you have an opportunity, and your veterans and the Rams, they are the most aggressive team in the league in trying to be competitive year to year by suspending any thought that they're going to be building for the future rather than pushing their chips in every year, trading away draft picks to land guys like I just mentioned. Cincinnati, meanwhile, one of the five youngest teams in the NFL, a bunch of no names on defense that you probably should know if you follow football very closely. If you follow football, particularly in the ACC Atlantic, you should know a lot of the guys that play for the Cincinnati Bengals. But we all thought if they were going to be a contender, they were two years away, a year or two away. But no, here they are right now facing a team that we all expected was going to be in the mix. Plus, there's a blatant mismatch in this game. There's no other way around it. When you think about an offensive line that allowed more sacks than any other team in the regular season, allowed nine sacks just two weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans, and now is facing a team that's top three in sacks and has perhaps the most devastating interior defensive lineman that we've ever seen in the sport. On top of that, one of the few edge rushers that has ever won the NFL Super Bowl MVP award on the other end, and Leonard Floyd, there are a lot of problems Cincinnati's going to try and figure out. And I don't know if those are problems you can fix, but that's going to be the key. Cincinnati has faced eight, has had eight games against top 10 teams ranked in sacks. Top 10 teams in sacks, that category, their record, they're four and four. So Cincinnati, when they're facing teams that are particularly good at getting to the quarterback and creating problems, well, they become a pedestrian football team. They're four and four. Kansas City still had four sacks yesterday. They're tied for fourth fewest when it comes to sacks in the regular season. 
The Rams are about to be heavy favorites in this Super Bowl. They're a known commodity. That's what you talk about when you look at Vegas odds. They're trying to react to the public, so they get even money on both sides. The Rams, they were on this stage three years ago. As I mentioned, Vaughn, he's been in this game before. Super Bowl MVP. Sorry again, Panther fans. So I think this is going to balloon. This is not me saying I think the Rams are going to win this game because we've got two weeks to talk about that. But I've always said when you talk about big games in sports, a good place to start is Las Vegas to get a feel for narratives, a feel for what some of the Sharps tend to think of a matchup. And I found it interesting that it opened at three and a half has already grown a little bit in the last 24 hours, and I think that continues before this game kicks off in 13 days. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show. You can reach out to the show on Twitter at WSJSSports336-777-1600 is the phone number. We've got Blue Devil basketball on WSJS Sports tonight. Duke's visiting Notre Dame. That's a game that's going to tip off at 7 o'clock. And this strikes me as a golden opportunity for the Golden Domers. Do we call them that in hoops? Or is that just a football thing to call Notre Dame the Golden Domers? Is that because of the Golden Dome that they have on campus? Or is it because they wear the gold helmets that are really shiny? I'm just going to go ahead and call Notre Dame the Golden Domers in basketball because it's a golden opportunity tonight. This team's firmly on the bubble. According to Joe Lenardi, they are in the outside looking in for an NCAA tournament bid. The AP poll was released today. Not surprising. Duke's still the only top 25 team. Last week, they were ranked ninth in the AP poll. They stay at number nine after wins at Louisville and Clemson in the past week. No other ACC team ranked, but the highest receiving votes is Miami. And after that, these Irish. They're right there on the bubble. And this is their last chance to get a quad one win on their home court. The net matters. Quad one wins really matter. This is the last time you could get one of those at home. Joe Lenardi has Notre Dame not on the first four out, but on the next four out line. Beating Duke should put them in comfortably, at least for now. On their resume, they've really taken it to some blue bloods. They beat Kentucky in non-conference. They beat North Carolina earlier this month. If you add Duke to that mix, I'd love if our friends with ESPN Stats and Info can dig up the last time a team beat Kentucky, North Carolina, and... Duke in the same season and didn't make the NCAA tournament. Duke is going to be a meal ticket for many in this conference. If you beat Duke, that's something that you know is going to hold up when you get to resume uh, resume comparison time in a little over a month, unless they collapse, which I don't think is going to happen. I think you got an experienced team that has a nice blend of young talent, Blake Wesley, that's a guy who's getting first-round consideration right now. Brian Geisiger is going to join us a little bit later on. Maybe he has something on that. Unless they absolute collapse, absolutely collapse, I think a win against Duke should pretty much put Notre Dame in good shape. 
and they have other opportunities to bolster that resume with quad one wins, but they're on the road at Miami, at Florida State, at Wake Forest in February. It's also a really good time to catch Duke. It's not just that Duke is playing in your gym. That's not really good luck. You're in the ACC. This is something that's bound to happen for most teams. Duke's going to visit your gym. This is why it's good luck for you. It's Duke's second road game in three days. It's hard already to play two games in three days. That's a difficult task. For both those games to be on the road and for Duke to be locked in a battle that we were preparing Blue Devil Vans for on Friday, for them to be in that battle and that game to be tied or with Duke losing by one late before that 12-0 run, that took a lot out of them. What are they going to have left tonight? Are they going to be able to match what Notre Dame brings? I don't know. I've been told Trevor Keels is unlikely to play again tonight, but should be ready for the North Carolina game Saturday. We'll see if Keels is is ready to go. He's been dealing with, I think it's a knee sprain, on the floor warming up, but did so in uh, sweats on Saturday. Unlikely to play again. If he doesn't, that's still a really big deal. It's a good time to catch Duke. So it's a great opportunity for Notre Dame. It's also a really good opportunity for the ACC. That's trying to get as many teams into the field as they possibly can. Who do you feel good about right now as an NCAA tournament team? You got Duke. I happen to think Miami's pretty comfortably in. Florida State, maybe. Wake Forest, I'd say they're in. Okay, so you're talking about four teams right there. North Carolina, I think they're in. That's still a brand name, and I think we saw on Saturday what that ceiling can look like. It's NCAA tournament caliber. I don't know how much better they are than that. Then Notre Dame is the ACC shot at potentially getting six teams into the field. So much for all that one-bid ACC garbage. Or those who said the ceiling for the ACC is four teams that make it. Please. Turns out that looked like more of the floor for this conference. Wes Miller, he's going to join the show in about 20 minutes. Fresh off his 200th win. That happened this weekend in Greenville, America against the Pirates. Fresh off his 39th birthday. He celebrated that on Friday. So a lot to talk about with Wes Miller in a little bit, but before we get to that, that's enough pushing things ahead. Looking ahead to Super Bowl 56, looking ahead to even tonight's matchup in South Bend. How about we go back to Saturday, where Tom Brady retired, we think, and North Carolina whipped NC State. We'll get into both those items next on The Drive. You know, if you listen to what he has to say, he's not such an idiot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Wes Miller will join the show in 15 minutes. Boy, was Saturday afternoon eventful. Literally minutes before Roy Williams stepped onto the Smith Center floor post-retirement, set to be honored, 
the news appeared on my social media feed that Tom Brady was retiring, according to Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington. Let's put a pin in that Brady news for a minute, though, and focus specifically on NC State, North Carolina. Some people don't really believe it when I say this, but I think those who know me best, like Robert and others, know I'm sincere when I say I don't really have a rooting interest when I watch these games. I don't. It sounds crazy to some, but when you work in the media long enough, you tend to fall in love with storylines and you fall in love with just the games itself and the atmospheres and you want the best story to come out of it. You don't really have as much of a rooting interest or an emotional attachment to the specific teams. But I caught myself Saturday rooting for North Carolina to win that game. They were playing NC State. I don't remember ever specifically watching something where I rooted for North Carolina to beat NC State in a scenario. Maybe the last time I truly rooted for North Carolina to win a game on a given night was when West Durham was calling a North Carolina-Syracuse tournament day, the day that Woody Durham passed away, because I thought that would have been a really good thing. That's similar to what I felt Saturday, minus a tragic death thrown in the middle of it. And the reason why I was rooting for North Carolina was because Roy Williams deserved a better farewell than what he got last April. Last year was no good. He coached his last game at the Smith Center against Duke, won it by a ton, kissed the floor at the middle or at center court, but it was a 25% capacity situation, I think, at that time. That's not the way he was supposed to go out. That was supposed to be a packed Smith Center. And if there was any idea that he might have been finished, there could have been some closure. But instead, what everybody got... April Fool's Day, it's announced that Roy's retiring, and it's not a joke. And you got that clunky, awkward press conference where Roy's telling you that he doesn't think he's good enough for the job anymore. It was uncomfortable. It just kind of suddenly ended. I'd rather remember the end of the Roy Williams era being being Saturday than that April 1st press conference. Because everything about Saturday was perfect for the Tar Heels. The game was never in doubt. There were NC State fans mad saying, this was embarrassing and Kevin Keats should be fired and he's not going to turn it around. Stop. That game was never about NC State. They were there, but it was not about NC State. It was all about North Carolina. And those players, they wanted to win for Roy. They were not going to accept losing. Not with Michael and Antoine Jameson courtside. Not with many other stars there. Raymond Felton was in the building. A handful of others I could pull out there. The 82 team in the building. Everything about it was perfect. They scored 100 points in the final minute with a walk-on hitting a free throw. The last time they had biscuits for the home crowd was when NC State was here a few years back. Was in Chapel Hill a few years back. Michael Jordan there to see it. It could not have gotten any better. The tributes were all well executed. At halftime, Marcus Page voicing the video. If you didn't hear that, it's worth your time. The banner was a nice surprise and well-deserved. The 82 team being there, Michael Namely, tremendous. 
They even did a Roy Williams cam where B-Dot and some of the others would try to imitate Roy Williams' expressions from some videos they put on the big screen. All of it was great, but all of it served the purpose of Tar Heel fans putting their arms around Roy and letting him know how much he was appreciated for those 18 years he served as North Carolina's head coach. He got the farewell he deserved on Saturday. That was my takeaway. It wasn't anything else basketball-related, not negative for NC State or positive for Carolina. It was about Roy, and he got what he truly deserved and what he didn't get the opportunity to receive last year. 336-777-1600. Before we get to the Tom Brady stuff and Wes Miller is going to join us in 10 minutes, maybe we get to some phone calls. Let's go to Ed in Winston-Salem, who's one of the bigger Carolina fans we know that call into the show. I can't say you're the biggest Carolina fan that listens to the show because I know BDOT's probably listening to this right now, and I wouldn't want to upset him, and I'm sure you wouldn't want to either, Ed. But what do you got on Saturday? Um, That's a great summary, uh, Josh. I really uh, appreciate that. And uh, it would be nice if they could have, uh, say, like the uh, 93 or the 2009 championship <laughs> team you know, ceremony. But to me, uh, that would be disrespectful to Coach K. Uh, I'm not a Coach K fan, but I respect everything he's done for Duke. What do you think they should do on Saturday? Pardon me? What do you think they should do on Saturday when he comes Oh, in? nothing, nothing really. That was, that was just kind of an off-the-wall uh, joke. But I, I, don't, I don't think uh, – I think, I think uh, with the uh, championship 82 team there and then with uh, Roy Williams and uh, Michael Jordan, you know, speaking to the team before and afterwards, I think that – Gave the team a highly uh, motivational factor to uh, win that game. But like I say, uh, I I would never, you know, if I was in that situation, I would never, you know, have anything like that. And I think maybe possibly that could be the reason they went ahead and had it this weekend instead of this coming weekend. Because to me, like I said, I think I have totally uh, uh, disrespect Coach K. And when you have time, could you give uh, – your uh, outlook on the uh, Notre Dame and Duke game later on tonight. Oh, yeah. I, I mentioned that a short while ago. I appreciate the call, Ed. I think Notre Dame might have something for Duke tonight. I really do. I thought Louisville was going to win that game on Saturday. Said it on Friday. If Keels didn't play, I thought Louisville would win the game. And they had a really good opportunity to do so. And I think Notre Dame is better than Louisville. And it's really hard to play two road games in three nights. So. We'll see how it goes. Once again, I probably have to lean Notre Dame, but Duke makes me look bad anytime I pick against them on the road. Done that a few times already this year. Every day this week, we're going to try and catch up with some connection to the Duke-North Carolina rivalry, as we like to do ahead of the first matchup, and that first matchup's on Saturday. Wes Miller will serve as that former Tar Heel who will join us in a little over five minutes, we'll catch up with the former UNCG coaching legend. And I think it's accurate to call him a coaching legend in a little over five minutes. Robert, where were you when you saw the Tom Brady news drop on Saturday? Uh, I really don't even remember. I think I was at the house, honestly. And uh, I saw the Adam Schefter thing come over my phone. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of early. I kind of expected him to wait till the off season, But, Okay. We mentioned it at this time last week that 
I felt Tom Brady was done. It just makes a lot of sense that Tom Brady would retire now just because of a lot of the guys they're expected to lose, whether it be coaches, some of the coordinators, and all these free agents that they have. Plus, that wouldn't have been a bad way to go out, coming back from that many points down, making that a game. He doesn't have anything else to accomplish. Spending time with family, obviously that's something that's important to him at 44 years old. But there are some who are still questioning the reports because Tom has not come out publicly and said that he's retiring. It's the Schefter and Jeff Darlington report, and they have not backed off of this at all. The AP and some of these others that said it's reported that Tom is retiring, they have. They've couched it. But let me tell you this. Sitting here on Monday, January 31st, 325, Tom Brady's done. He is retired. It's over because Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington aren't some bloggers just throwing up things against the wall to see what sticks. I happen to know enough about some of how breaking news happens in sports. These guys know how big of a story this is. And for two names to be attached to it, guys who have their own sources and different people that they're in touch with, there can't be any fewer than four or five different people close to Tom who have told them that he is retiring. They are not wrong. And if they were wrong, they would not be as strongly saying that it is the case after the initial pushback. So for them not to back off of this, they know they're right. So why hasn't it been broken yet? Well, pretty obviously, Tom wants control of the narrative. Tom wants to control the news. Tom, he might want to try and retire as a New England Patriot since right now he's under contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom, he might want to do some elaborate video or to put out something his own type of way or to do something unique. And that might take some time to put things together. Do you know who probably doesn't care about that, though, and shouldn't? Adam Schefter. There's a faction of people out there saying, let him announce the news. It's his news to announce. No, it's news. And Adam Schefter's loyalty is not, neither Adam Schefter nor Jeff Darlington's loyalty is not to those athletes. It's to us. It's to their network. It's to the audience. It's to their readers. It's to the people that follow them. That's that's who your allegiance should be to. So when he learns information that he knows is true, he's going to put it out there even if Tom Brady doesn't like it or Tom Brady's dad or whomever. So it's only a matter of when. You, you look at the statement that his agent put out there, some of the other things that were put out there. Nobody has said Tom Brady's going to play for the Buccaneers next year. Nobody has said that. Not one person. So no one's really forcefully even denied that this is what's going to happen. So again, Shafter's right. A regular little chatterbox. Already talking a mile a minute. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Let's recap the weekend. 
the ACC and also NFL Championship Sunday yesterday. The best way we know how to do that and cover as much ground as possible in the most quick way possible, I guess efficient is the best way to put it, is by playing Graham's grade. So let's do that. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no Passed the test. If one of y'all says some silly ass name, who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Time for Graham's grades. They range from A through F. We're not one of those classes, Robert, that says you had you got a 79 actually. So that's a C plus versus if you got one more point, it would be a B. No, it's an A, it's a B, it's a C, it's a D, or it's an F. That's how this works here. Let's start with the NFL. A. Cincinnati as a sports city. You've got the Bengals and Cincinnati football in the month of January playing in major football games. The Bearcats becoming the first group of five team to get to the college football playoff. The Bengals making it for the first time since 88, winning a playoff game for the first time since 1990, 1991, excuse me. It's remarkable. So shout out to Cincinnati. Wes Miller, you're up. Speaking of Wes Miller being up, that conversation on our podcast channel. First to drive with Josh Graham, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. If you already listen that way, good for you. Rate, review, subscribe if you haven't done that already. Shout out to Cincinnati. Getting some things done. B. The overtime rules. Last week, I had it as a C. But this week, I like them enough to put it as a B because it turns out It doesn't take a miracle to get one stop. Kansas City won the toss, got the ball. They were at home. You'd think that Cincinnati defense was tired after they were on the field for that long drive right at the end of regulation. They got the stop, and they got a turnover. They almost had two turnovers. They had two cracks at it on that series. Get the stop. I know folks will say, well, Josh, 10 of the last 12 teams that have won the toss end up winning the game. Get a stop. Stop it. And then you'll have a shot to win the game. Cincinnati did it. The OT rules are fine. They are fine. They don't need to be changed again. C. The CBS Halftime Show. Robert, how much did you enjoy it? Did you watch the halftime show where... Somebody decided to put these massive speakers right behind James Brown, uh, Boomer Esiason, Phil Sims, and Nate Burleson. I saw the beginning of it, and then I just muted it. (laughs) I loved it. Because Boomer at one point was like, I have no idea what you just said, but Joe Burrow. Let's, Let's talk about that guy. And then Nate Burleson's dancing. And Phil Sibbs is throwing stuff on social media. I didn't know he had a Twitter until yesterday. 
It, it was so great. Well, it's a C because obviously you had the sound from that awful Applebee's fancy-like song from Walker Hayes blaring through, which isn't great. And if you actually are interested in the halftime analysis, I tend not to be, you might not have liked it much. I, w I enjoyed it more than I usually would enjoy halftime shows, but since it is a halftime show and there's a low ceiling on it, it's a C. D. The LA Rams home crowd. Boy, <laughs> it's not a good look when you have to go silent count at home. And that's what the LA Rams had to do. Are they gonna be outnumbered for the Super Bowl too? By a substantial margin? Because if you can't even pack it when you have the season ticket holders and all that, I struggle to believe you're gonna outnumber these Bengals fans. I really do. It was 70% Niners fans there because of people like my brother who, Robert, see if you disagree with this logic. He, I think, paid what the face value of the ticket would have been as a season ticket holder, which is less than $200. So I think it would have been like a buck 75 for each of the tickets that he had. He sold each of those tickets for 800 a piece, Robert. So $1,600 he got for those two tickets. His thinking was, this was his calculus. The best case scenario is the Rams win and I'm going to want to see him in the Super Bowl. So this is $1,600 I could put towards trying to get the Super Bowl tickets. The worst case scenario is the Rams lose and I just made $1,600 not to go see my team lose and their season end that way. That's pretty good logic, wouldn't you say? Uh, as long as he knew he wasn't selling to 49ers fans, I know that was a big despondence between fans and players of both teams. Yeah, that worked out. I got a feeling the ones that were paying all that money to go were probably wearing red and pretty excited to do so. Yeah, that's. Uh, I feel pretty confident in that. Do you say Bengals or Bengals? Uh, Bengals. See, I say Bengals, and a lot of people say Bengals. Heck, Wes Miller was saying Bengals, and he's the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, so he's in that city. Anyway, just wanted to ask that. F. My picks. Woo! Best bets. 0-3 this weekend. Very disappointing. Robert, it looks like we are... We're two games under 500 going into the Super Bowl with props and the actual game, so I still have a shot, but it's not looking positive that we're going to have we're going to break even this year which would be a first it's been a crazy season for college football in the NFL I mean we got a group of five team and the playoff and we got the Bengals in the Super Bowl so it's a thing that happens but we were 0-3 this weekend last weekend with the NFL picks didn't go well either we need to turn that that ship around quickly Let's circle back to college basketball. Hey, North Carolina. That was perfect. Perfect for North Carolina. They blew out NC State and never felt like it was in doubt. They had biscuits and all. It was just a perfect atmosphere. We'll talk more about that game in a little bit. B. Duke. It's a win at Louisville. Yeah, I know their coach was fired last week, but they were going to play with their hair on fire, and they did. It was close late, 
12-0 run to close things out. A.J. Griffin was awesome, and they won without Trevor Keels on the road. C. Miami. Anytime you win a double-digit road ACC game, that is impressive. But it was Georgia Tech, who might be the worst team in the league. Miami, it's a C for me. D. Florida State lost to Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech last week. Yeah, Virginia Tech shot the lights out from three, but you got to win these games if you're FSU. You certainly can't lose back-to-back against two teams that are not going to make the tournament. Not a good look for the Seminole. F. The Wake Forest Stephen Deacons. That was the worst loss of the season for Wake. Allowed more points than they've allowed to anybody else. Syracuse had 94. They had no answers for Buddy Bayheim. It's the first time they've lost to a team with a losing record. And it's a team that they beat earlier this year in Winston-Salem. Alondis Williams, for the first time this year, didn't score into d- double figures. It happens the same night that Jake LaRavia had five points on the game. Now, this is something that happens to everybody, almost everybody, pretty much everybody in the league other than Duke. But that's a bad loss. And that's the first time I've been able to say that about a Wake Forest loss this year. So that's an F in my mind. And that's been Bram's grades for this week. What? 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 This is wrong. You shut up! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Just when I'm starting to feel good today. Feeling good about the show. I'm in a good mood. We bring Geisinger in just to damage any type of self-confidence I have without Precise the Geist, which we'll play in a few minutes. BG from accsports.com. You can find my rankings and BG's rankings of the ACC 1 through 15 in basketball at accsports.com. A lot of other goodies there as well. BG, let's get into NC State, North Carolina on Saturday. What have we learned about North Carolina the last three games, if anything, because it almost seems like a week-to-week thing where two weeks ago, North Carolina's fresh off blowing out Georgia Tech and blowing out Virginia on their home floor and then get beaten by get they get beat by Miami and Wake Forest by 20-plus apiece. Then this past week, it's three wins, the first two not so impressive, but then you hang 100 on NC State. Has your opinion changed much about them week to week? Not really. Like, I, I've tried to keep the, uh, I've tried to keep like a pretty like centered approach on the UNC this season. And it really comes down to something we talk about every week with them, Josh, which is like, this is a, this is a, a talent team. This is a, 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 at times, a very good offensive team and really not that good of a defensive team. When they lost, to Wake Forest, and when they lost and got blown out by Miami, their defense got caved in in both those games, right? We talked about UNC. We literally a week ago, we talked about UNC, the inability for them to guard pick and roll against Isaiah Wong, Cam McGusty from Miami, and Alonis Williams, Jake Arabia from Wake Forest. Well, they weren't exactly, you know, I thought 
you know, I thought the NC State game would be an interesting stress test for them uh, because they're going up against a guy like Darion Sebron that is a that is a legit you know downhill driver out of the pick and roll. But the defense showed up this week, and um, for the most part, and the offense was really really good in some of those games. Obviously, um, you know against NC State, that's one of the worst defensive games that the Wolf Pack have had all season. I thought Caleb Love was really good last week. Me shooting above 43% from deep this year on a lot of like self-created shots too. But to see where he like how he's bounced back after last season is impressive. How's about his outing against Virginia Tech? He got to the free throw line um, 11 times in that game. It was the first time since I think the College of Charleston game that Caleb Love has had double figure free throw attempts in the game, and that's big for him because that means he's getting downhill and getting lane and, and not just sort of settling for the step-backs that look pretty but don't always go in. And um, so I would just say, like, when the defense shows up in the offensive shots, they can win a lot of games. That's sort of like a no-dust thing. It's just when the defense isn't there, I think things can get a little bit ugly for them. So, I don't know. My approach for them all season is pretty much stayed consistent. Like, it's a good offensive team with a couple NBA players on it. But defensively, they're limited and not that great on that end of the court. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, you got almost have to take like a week-to-week approach with them because it's going to be sort of like matchup dependent, I think, on what you might get with the Tar Heels. Brian Geisiger with us here from accsports.com. Low-key, my favorite moment from Saturday was after the game where Leaky Black was, he was as measured as you would imagine a politician to be in the post-game press conference. He was asked, about Michael Jordan's message before the game and to expand on some of the things that MJ told the team. And he responded with a, nah, don't think I'll do that. (laughs) And then he was asked about his strategy in locking down Darion Sebron, holding him to just two points just a few weeks after he held Michael DeVoe to a couple of points. And he started to give a detailed answer. Then he caught himself and said, you know, let me answer that in a few weeks. We still got them on the schedule one more time. Leaky, <laughs> yeah. what, uh, when you think about Leaky in terms of defensive players in this league, how high up on the list is he in terms of top guys that we see? Yeah, I think Leaky Black is one of the best perimeter defenders in the ACC, has been for a couple of years. I do think he's not like, I wouldn't say at this point, he's like a shoeing for all defensive team, but he's definitely in the conversation. Like he in, could, he very well could end up on my all defensive team for the ACC. I think Reese Beekman at Virginia is is far and away the best perimeter defender uh, in the ACC. Just like on a possession by possession basis, there's just no one quite like Beekman guarding the basketball. Uh, Leaky Black though has got great size, great length. And I think when he's locked in and engaged defensively, he can be electric on that side of the court. I think he's at his best when guarding the basketball as opposed to off the ball. I think that's sometimes where he can lapse into ball watching or over rotating or just generally like being not in the right spot at the right time. I think that's contributed some to UNC's different divisions this season, albeit not nearly as much as sort of like what the rest of their front court personnel. Uh, how limited that group is in terms of guarding pick and roll. But Leakey's a really good perimeter defender. He can guard basically one through four in college, maybe even some fives. Um, and so he's long and active, and he can do a lot of damage on that side of the court. And yeah, he's one of 
the best perimeter defenders in the ACC and will be in consideration for all defensive team along with, you know, Justin Mutz at Virginia Tech, Reese Beekman, uh, Mark Williams at Duke. There's a lot of names to go around. It's only a couple of spots, but Leaky's darn good on that side of the court. Brian Geisiger with us here. There are sometimes games feature two teams, but really the story only involves one of the two. And I felt NC State and North Carolina was that way. NC State fans, they got mad about it. They were rolled, and some were trying to extrapolate the way that they played from that to Kevin Keats's coaching performance and saying that, hey, Kevin Keats should be on the hot seat. Maybe Kevin Keats should be fired beyond this year. The way I felt, Saturday was about North Carolina. It wasn't about NC State. It was about Roy being honored and North Carolina playing well in front of Michael Jordan and the 82 team and the energy that was in that building, they were not going to lose that game. I don't think it's Kevin Keats's fault. It's more credit to North Carolina being a health, a healthier and more talented team playing at home and playing well and motivated on that given day. But I will pose the question to you before we get to how precise the guys, Kevin Keats, he should not be on the hot seat, right? You know, it's tough to say. I'll say I'll take the I'll say no, just because of what Keats has had to deal with, right? Like potential violations hanging overhead, some weird like recruiting things. Where got you know guys like someone like Josh Hall that was committed that ends up you know entering the NBA draft and never the queue too. ends up at yeah you know none and done at NC State. Um, you know, and, and I think Keats continue to get buy-in from this team, right? Like they, something we've talked about this year, they continue to play hard. I think that's that's really really big. I think, like from a, a development standpoint, there are some some success stories on this roster, like including Darion Sebron. And like, I'm not there, so I don't know like how to assign credit. But like, all I know is Darion Sebron went from being like a back end of the rotation guy that has kind of a nice end of the season last year to like. Hey, this guy's one of the five or six best players in the league, and is like you know could be a you know a, a second round or maybe a late first round draft pick in the draft this year. I think Ebenezer Dewana, um State's defense hasn't been good, and Dewana has his issues. But when he's on the court, they're like they're passable on that side of the court. And when he gets in foul trouble, you know everything gets gets really dark really really quickly. But I think that's another success story. I think Casey Morcel playing the best basketball of his career after sort of like struggling to find land for a couple of a couple of years at Virginia and all of a sudden like you know he's a solid two way piece. Um you know it's tough though because it is this is year five as well and there's been just one NCAA tournament. The twenty twenty tournament getting canceled obviously didn't help Keith. That team was almost certainly gonna make that that team. So I'll say no, but it does start to put a lot of eggs in the basket for next season. And I think that changes if they, you know, how the cop maybe kind of how they finish out this season as well, because I'm not sure how the roster is going to turn over for next season. Like if Seabron leaves, then what are you what what are you left with? Like you know what's going to happen next year? So, but, you know, Ken Palm only has been projected to win three more conference games the rest of the season. Pitt, BC, and Syracuse. Um, they're going to need to they're going to need to go above that. I think to like make the fans feel happier and I think anything lower than that and then all of a sudden maybe maybe things maybe maybe the seat, seat does heat up a little bit so I'll say not yet but knowing that things could change sooner rather than later 
Let's get to the NBA now. It's time to outprecise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. All right, starting last week in basketball, not only did LeBron miss a much-anticipated Hornets matchup, he also missed the Hawks game. And since arriving with the Lakers, when LeBron plays, they are 127-76. and 76. That's good for 62.6% of their games. When LeBron plays, they win. Uh, what's their percentage when LeBron doesn't play? Ooh, yeah, boy, I knew a couple uh, ticket holders for last Friday's game in Charlotte that were uh, a little disappointed. <laughs> That the uh, the king didn't play in that one. Um, yeah, you know they will. The way they build the teams around LeBron, you always need him to create offense. So probably not good. I will say win percentage without LeBron. I will say uh, give me forty percent. What do we do here? I got forty percent written down. Uh, you both give me another answer. All right. I don't know. We can push it. It don't matter to me. All Whatever right. y'all want to yeah. do. This is kind of unprecedented. I will. BG, you give a different guess, and I'll give a different guess. I got something else written down here. We'll see what direction you go. Okay, I'm going to go... I'll go 38. I went 41%. So you went one way, I went the other. We'll see what happens. Uh, when LeBron right. doesn't play for the Lakers, they win 38.9% <laughs> of their games. All right. You're both very close. I hate this game. I hate it. I hate right. it so much. I hate it. All right. I, I, hate I it. love it. It's I like, love it. The luck of the draw, baby. So I love it. So terrible. Uh, next up, we got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who have each scored 30 points in the same game four times this season. And the only other duo to do that, uh, DeRozan and Levine, have only done it twice. Uh, in those four games that they both scored 30, how many combined points have they scored? So the four games, they both score 30. How many combined points in those four games between the two of them? So it has to be. Let me let me just set this straight for Josh more real than quick. There you go. Okay, cool. Josh knows now. We're not going to get any two twenties in here. Yeah. East Carolina go. degree. Um, let's go. Yeah. Um. Oh boy. All right. Let's say. Uh, let's say two eighty. How about that? Two eighty five. Yeah. No. 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 Two eighty five. Two eighty five. I got two seventy seven written down. Josh is going to take this one out of those three games. Two seventy three. Uh, yeah, baby. Let's go. I'm bringing it today. All right, this this next one's kind of a two-parter. I'll ask the question, and then I'll ask Josh a, a specific question afterwards. Uh, John Morant, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but this dude's been on fire. Five straight 30-point games, fourth career triple-double, and this is his first 30-point triple-double for him and also in Grizzlies history. Uh, all I need to know is before he scored that 30-point triple-double, what was the previous highest point total in a triple-double for the Grizzlies? Whew. Oh, boy. And also, uh, J- Josh, while you're thinking about that, BG, would you still take Zion over John Morant? Oh, don't do this to me. Because, like, the answer's got to change eventually, <laughs> right? Like, I think I'd change the answer now. <laughs> I would. Yeah, John's John, unbelievable. I can't get there yet. I'm glad I'm not being asked this question. Um, I can't give up on Zion yet. Oh. But, um, but man, Morant's so good. He's gonna end up being All NBA this year. But Zion was was this good a year ago too. So uh, uh, 
the way you see still the, the way to go. But I'll say um I'll say uh twenty eight. I got twenty four. I'm assuming I'm assuming it's Zebo. Like Zebo had some of these triple doubles where he doesn't score or, a lot. All right, who's your guess, guys? Who's right? your guess? Uh, for for player? Yeah. Uh, I'll say Gasol, Mark Gasol. God, double points for BG. Number Did one, it it was twenty eight points. And it was it was Mark Gasol, but it was also Zach Randolph. They are tied until hey, the other night. So I got it right too. Well, you got a half a point. You I, were, got, you I, got, I got a half the... point on the guess. Yeah. yeah. All right. I like it. I like it. That's yeah. a competitive. That's a competitive that, was, that was a good. It was a good effort, but I I fell short. That's that's what happens when we play this game. All right, BG. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Be good, guys. There you go. Ryan Geisiger joining us here.